online, on Radio Player, and on 106.6 FM. This is Wickham Sound. Welcome to Mimi Meets. This is Mimi Harker. And as with every week, I like to bring you a very special guest, somebody who I have known or met, or somebody who's made a big difference to my life, somebody who's influenced my life in some way, um, and somebody who I would love to share with you. And this week is absolutely no different because my very special guest today is no less than the High Sheriff of Buckinghamshire. It's Ruth Farwell, CBE. Uh, Ruth, welcome to Wickham Sound. Thank you very much, Mimi. What an introduction. Thank you. Very well deserved. You're an amazing lady. I do admire you enormously for the work you've done um, during your year as High Sheriff, but even before that, because I first met you when you were Vice-Chancellor of Bucks New University. That's right. That's many years ago now, isn't it, actually, Mimi? Yes. Yes. (laughs) So your role there, because I don't think most people understand what vice-chancellors do. Well, vice-chancellor, although there's a vice in the title, uh, the vice-chancellor is actually the person in charge of the university. So it's like the chief executive of a a business. So, in fact, I was vice-chancellor and chief executive. So basically, it's the leader of, of the university. Amazing, absolutely amazing. So how do you go from that role into being the High Sheriff? Well, I think the reason for that was because the main criterion for being selected as High Sheriff is that you have to have played a prominent role in public life in the county. And you certainly have. And and I made a point of embedding the university when I was Vice-Chancellor. Um, I took over in 2006 and I thought it was important that we became regarded as an asset to the community and to the county and so I wanted to put myself out and about and meet people such as yourself, Mimi, (laughs) Um, when I was was doing that role And, and so I think that is the connection and that's what led actually to my becoming High Sheriff. So in many ways, I think it's uh, a tribute to the university as much as to me. Well, I think um, you'll be very modest about it, if I may say so, because I think it depends on the person, because I meet so many people in my life um, and in the various roles that I undertake, and there are some people who are simply outstanding at what they do, and you are one of those people. You have taken education. I mean, we all associate you with education, and we all associate you with the values that you attribute to education and the importance of it Um, and that I think is something that people respect deeply and you know it certainly made a huge impression on me when I met you all those years ago and I just thought wow for you know for us as a community and for young people to have someone like you as an advocate is really really something great. Well thank you again so much Mimi and and yes I mean it's those values that that remain with me now I'm, I'm retired from my main role in education having been had a career in universities for 40 odd years Um, but it's those values that I've actually taken with me and I'm doing still doing some work some um, voluntary work but also in terms of the way in which I've uh, carried out my role as high sheriff um, which I'm sure we'll be talking about absolutely we will in fact I was going to say your educational background is your I I sort of did a bit of research on you so maths and physics that's right (laughs) that's right yes so I um, I did a maths degree myself and then went on and did a PhD in mathematics but it was um, so at the applied end of the math spectrum if you like so it was it was almost physics and um, I had then when I was doing research spent some time um, in physics departments rather than math departments because they're so close Um, 
but I started my career as a mathematics lecturer, so as a teacher of, of maths. So you completely understand inside that classroom what it's like. And well, yes, and I think I think actually the quality of the teacher is fundamentally important and particularly in a subject like maths when so many people say they just didn't get it. I'm one of those. (laughs) And I respect that and and I think it's fundamentally it's not as a result of the individual and their abilities or their speed at which they can absorb things like mathematics. It's to do with the way in which it was presented to them. We, We learn in different ways and if maths is only presented in a particular way then there are inevitably going to be some people sitting in that classroom that just don't get it me (laughs) i'm afraid i think i'm one of those people i need to be shown things Mm -hmm. in order to learn i can't read something and understand how to carry it out but if you show it to me once i never forget it Uh, and also see that it's it's useful and relevant and how it, it you can use it um, rather than it just necessarily being presented as something abstract. I mean, I love abstract things, but I do realise, having spent a long, many years teaching, is that that's not necessarily the best way, and the majority of people don't appreciate maths in that way. They want to know how it can be used. Do you know, you're quite right, actually, because I sit there and I think I still have the ability to add things up very quickly in my head. Oh, I wish I did. <laughs> really, really quickly I can do that and I can sort of work out, you know, um, change from something very quickly because that was something I was taught when I was very young and that stayed with me forever. Um, so even now I can very quickly add things up and say, oh, yes, that's so-and-so and, so, and everyone looks at me and say, oh, how did you do that? <laughs> but that's the only skill I've got as far as maths is concerned. <laughs> well, it's a useful one. <laughs> it is a useful one. But because of that background, I know when I've worked with you as the High Sheriff, um, you've brought the educational aspect into it. Um, I mean, look, just looking back at something like Radio Christmas, for example, you were so supportive of the rucksacks so that we could get ch- children to school Yes, in Guatemala. Yes. So you know, it was a one, wonderful thing. I mean, it, and it shines through every single time. So this role of high sheriff, what is it all about? <laughs> right. Well, let me let me give you the the kind of. I mean, this this not the not the the party political sort of um, a stance on this, but I'll I'll give you the traditional view about how it is and and where it arose and how it arose um, in long long time ago so um the office of high sheriff goes back over a thousand years to before um 1066 when um Gosh. the monarch usually was a king <laughs> um the king um appointed in each county which then was called a shire mm-hmm. they appointed in each county um a person to manage their estate and to raise taxes and that was the shire reeve and that's how uh, the word, you know, over time, those two words combined and it evolved to become sheriff. Oh, fascinating. Um, and sheriffs had a lot of power in those days. They don't these days, but they did then. Um, and they were basically in charge of law and order in their communities. And it was really a sort of self-governing system. Um, the sheriff ran his or her I mean, there were a few women. I'll tell you a bit about that later. (laughs) His or her own courts, they were able to find people if um, they'd committed a crime. And basically, they held groups of people in the community to account in order to uh, actually police, if you like, the the community itself. Um, So 
typically they had groups of men who who would try and and I suppose in the modern day equivalent arrest people who'd committed crimes right. and if they didn't they were fined themselves right. so the so the sheriff was quite powerful and I suppose you know hence we've got you know in our heads images of Alan Rickman as the sheriff of Nottingham yes uh, and so on but anyway the role has evolved uh, but it's still linked to law and order these days it's purely ceremonial but you are the Queen's representative in the county, so you're appointed by the Queen, Queen's representative in the county in charge of law and order. So the role is typically linked to those organisations that are involved in that area, so the police, the prison service, the judiciary, but also lots of charities and voluntary organisations that help those other statutory organisations help us keep peaceful communities and build resilience mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. coherent and cohesive communities. Yes, yes indeed. So you had um, some interesting stories you said about some of the ladies who took the role. Well, <laughs> there was, I believe it or not, the first woman high sheriff was in 1215, which wow. I think is absolutely amazing. That's amazing. I think there were only two for about 800 years, but nevertheless there was one appointed um, you know, I mean, I know the, high, the Sheriff of Nottingham was a fictitious character, but it would have been around about the same time that he <laughs> allegedly yes. existed, that this woman was Sheriff in Lincolnshire. So, yeah, amazing. Yes, absolutely amazing. And she, and she was appointed by the King because she had helped him um, against um, mostly the French, actually. So uh, is reputedly helped save England from being invaded by the French. Amazing. So almost like our very own Joan of Arc. Absolutely, (laughs) absolutely. Yes, amazing woman. (laughs) So on that basis, I mean, so this is the first time I'm hearing about a woman that far back in the role. Yes, yes. It was amazing to describe. I I didn't know about it. And uh, because... If you then sort of fast forward to um, the 20th century, then really there weren't women high sheriffs in any great number until about the 1970s. Right. You know, anywhere in in the UK. And in Buckinghamshire, the, the, the first one ever was in 1975. Wow. Wow, amazing. And yet recently, because um, with the roles that I've been privileged enough to have, I've met so many amazing women in those roles. Yes, indeed. So I think Buckinghamshire must surely be up there as an outstanding county. Yes, well, I I think in a number of ways, actually. I think in in terms of these um, public office, um, people in public office, Mm. I think we've actually been quite, I suppose egalitarian in terms of thinking about the kinds of people who might take on those roles. Yes. I mean, not just women. I yes. mean, there have been a lot of women recently, uh, but also people from different kinds of backgrounds. Yes, that's really important because that was another question I was going to ask you. Do you have to come from a certain type of background in order to have that role? Absolutely not. Um, I think if you look back in history and if you, you know, even if you look in other counties, even now, um, there tends to be people who are who are landowners. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um, yep. You know, there there is that tendency. Yes, but certainly not. Um, it doesn't have to be that way. I think it's just really a, a group of people in a particular place who who look at in within a particular pool of people and they look for people who are like themselves. Yes. Whereas what we're trying to do here is quite consciously in Buckinghamshire 
broaden out the pool from yes. which um, a person who's appointed to uh, um, to be high sheriff is selected. And it's a role which lasts for a year? Just a year. A, just year. a year. So you've yes. had an amazing year. Uh, yes, I say just a year, but it's really, really is a packed, packed. year. Um, with loads and loads of activities, events, meeting great people. Yes, it's been a tremendous year and such an honour and a privilege Indeed, to be able to serve my county um, in this way. I mean, when I look at the role, I have to say, the first thing I say to any new high sheriff I meet is, here's the magic cure to keep you going, which is four times odorless garlic, two times echinacea, and one times vitamin C maximum strength. You may remember that. I do, I do indeed, <laughs> yes. And I have to say, I didn't heed your advice, but I have, you know, I have to say, I've only got a week left, so I hope I'm not tempting fate. Indeed. Um, but I have actually kept going remarkably well, but I put that down to two things, I think. Um, um, one is exercise. So um, Yeah, I, you'd look amazing, I've if you don't mind me saying thank so. You, thank <laughs> you. I've continued to run as much as I can. So uh, that's and, your poison, is it running? Well, yes. <laughs> and the other thing that I think helps in terms of, particularly through the winter, is honey. Oh, OK. And I have my own bees. Oh, wow. Yes. So oh, we'll I have to so, talk about that. So I make my own honey. Oh, how fantastic. Well, I mean, I don't make the honey. The bees make my honey. <laughs> but then we'll, I'm going to talk to you about that to find out what you do with it. How do you take it from that state and make it into that state, or do you oh, not? No, you don't. It's the bees that do all of that. You just have to collect it. Really? Harvest it, basically. Gosh. Yeah. It is inc- they are incredible creatures. Amazing. Oh, I'm, re- I'm really stunned because I thought there was a whole process involved. Uh, there's a process of inst- extraction, yeah. but no, 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 no. It's the bees that go through the process of making the honey. Amazing. Yes. Wow. <laughs> and the look on your face, I've, I have to say, I'm try- sort of trying to relay that to our listeners. I mean, you look really, you're glowing while you talk about it. <laughs> but it is amazing. It is. Amazing, amazing. And so far, we've discovered a little bit about Ruth's background and about one of her hobbies, which is bees which i'm i'm just amazed that they do it all themselves yes <laughs> i didn't i honestly thought there was a process because when you look at the jars in the you know in supermarkets and stuff it's well i mean the, the jars that you buy in supermarkets it, you, you know you have to read the label very carefully quite a lot of um honey that's bought in supermarkets is a blend so i suppose there is a process because what the honey processors are doing is sourcing honey from all sorts of different places because you'll Mm -hmm. see on the label it's from the EU it's from outside the EU it's from all over the place so the honey that you get could be from anywhere quite often in some instances it's watered down I was going to say a lot of sugar in it so sugar and water yes I mean it shouldn't be if it says it's 100% pure honey but there are some I mean these are not from the EU but there is stuff that gets imported where uh, disreputable um, processors yes, do indeed. actually mix it. Indeed. With, um, but if really reliable supermarkets, it should, that shouldn't be a problem. But nevertheless, it is a blend of honeys from all sorts of places. So you don't necessarily know what the bees have been um, foraging on yes. in order to make that honey, in it's order quite, to collect the nectar. I mean, it's quite romantic, actually, thinking of that, that, you know, you could you could live in an area that has the most incredible flora and um, that's what they're going to be feasting on and that's what's going to be influencing that particular it, jar of honey. It, it is, absolutely, and that's why people do like to buy local honey, honey that's local to it their area. It makes sense now. Yes. I mean, even though the bees do quite go quite a long way, they can fly miles to collect 
nectar. Amazing. Yes. Amazing. And of course, another one of your hobbies is running, and that's kept you going in your year as High Sheriff. Yes. Uh, literally. Indeed. <laughs> Indeed. I think so. I think so. So some of the things that you have to do. Well, in connection with the, there's a ceremonial part, obviously, of the role, which links in with um, a lot of civic activities, which I know, you know, that's probably where I met you in the first instance, Indeed. all those years ago, Mimi, um, when I was when I was vice chancellor. So there are events that one goes to which are linked to Buckinghamshire County Council or the district councils or the town councils. Indeed. And, and events, you know, and things that might be commemorating things like the end of the First World War and etc. So those kinds of things um, all of which are incredibly interesting and you meet very interesting people I think that was a more familiar side of the aspects of the county for me I mean as you know because I in, I was involved in those kinds of things when yes. I was vice-chancellor or I involved made a point of involving myself in them mm-hmm. I suppose the things that I found most interesting because I knew less about them were um, actually getting to know the organisations that are linked to the role, so are linked to law and order. And so, such as, give us so, an example. So I'm going and visiting the headquarters for Thames Valley Police at Kidlington and seeing the various aspects of the operation that right. go on there, like, you know, fingerprinting, forensics, um, meeting, the, meeting the senior team, meeting the chief constable and, yes. and his team, going to local police stations. So I've been to Wickham Police Station and, you know, seen... As a visitor. As a visitor. <laughs> As a visitor, I hasten to add, yes. Um, and, you know, met dog handlers and, you know, all, so to all sorts of things like that. And going to um, sitting alongside the judge in, in the Crown Court and also alongside um, family family court judges up in, up in Milton Keynes. Yes. Seeing the magistrates. Um, but I suppose what has impacted most I think on me are my visits to prisons yes and and linking that up with my obvious interest for education seeing how um, education can actually transform people's lives mm-hmm. um, in terms of thinking about those prisoners when they are released not reoffending. absolutely you've touched on something that's very topical at the moment because prisons have been featuring quite a lot in the news recently yes. Yes. and not in a very positive way no that's right so what, in, in your opinion, having visited lots of prisons, what could we do? Well, I, I think that we could, all of us, find out more about what it's really like to be in prisons. Mm-hmm. Um, because some of the conditions there, if you, if you just go to just the physical state of the buildings, mm-hmm. for example, mm-hmm. and some of the prison estate is really old. You know, so if you go to um, Aylesbury Young Offenders Institution, that's a Victorian jail. Mm-hmm. It was set up as a county jail, um, and for far fewer people than are currently resident mm-hmm. there. And so, I think in some ways, the conditions that, in Aylesbury's case, these young men have to exist in. I mean, we're not talking here. You know, in the Daily Mail, you read stories about. Um, that prisoners are living in luxury and mm-hmm. have, you know, better accommodation than, you know, than many hotels. Yes, have a temper tantrum, break the TV, another one appears. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Well, certainly, I mean, I don't know whether that exists somewhere, but it certainly doesn't exist in the prisons mm-hmm. that I've seen in Buckinghamshire mm-hmm. and Oxfordshire. Um, so there are people sharing cells um, with quite poor 
conditions mm. in terms of you know their, their shower shower blocks and all those kinds of things mm. two people sharing a cell which was only meant for one person and that was meant for one person in victorian times Gosh. you know so it, it's in a way you you think that what you're doing is you're kind of creating the conditions where behavior is going is going to be bad yes yes and and where then when they leave they're likely to reoffend. I, I think it's you know th- th- this is the same in terms of other aspects of education for people who are not necessarily in the penal system yes. are on the cusp of things going wrong yes um actually what they need is, is support and engagement yes and yes. understanding and and sorry I, I know all of that sounds easy to say and it's harder to do when resources are tight yes can we not use a system of volunteers who've been vetted well there are that that does happen to a certain extent mm-hmm. Um, but it takes, I think, quite a special person to be involved. And obviously there, there has to be quite a lot of training and vetting. Yes. And, and there's quite a lot of responsibility that goes with all of that in terms of making sure that the conditions remain secure and so on. Mm. So, well, of course, yes. Yes, but there, yes. Are, there, are, there are armies of volunteers who do get involved okay. in, and, and, and help to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. But what it comes down to, I think... Uh, I mean, is in a way organised, organised support, yes. which links up with all kinds of other agencies, like what happens when they're released in terms of where they go and live and what benefit they get and whether they're linked up to a pathway into employment, yes. those kinds of things. That's exactly the sort of thing that comes to mind because it's one of the stories you hear all the time, isn't it, that they've come out, there's nowhere for them to go, there's no support as such because everybody's overstretched. So one person who's supposed to be supporting might have 50 people that they're supposed yes. to be looking out for. Yes. And it's just impossible to make sure that every single one of them is okay. There's bound to be someone that falls through the cracks. Yes. And it's- that's the issue, isn't it, really, more than anything. And, and you're right, we need some sort of system that is there where people talk to each other and there's the, the right hand's talking to the left hand and making sure that everyone's fine. Yes, and I think our, I, I agree with that entirely. Um, I think our resources nationally um, are so stretched that what we're doing in a number of different areas to do with public services is we're only able to deal with crises hmm. Rather yeah. than actually intervening at a level, you know, when, when before a crisis has, has, yes. has occurred, yes, and 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 I suppose in many ways I think the earlier intervention, and this goes for all sorts of, as I say, all sorts of areas. It applies to medicine as well. Earlier yes. intervention can is actually makes good economic sense, but in many ways we aren't afforded that luxury because Indeed. we're always looking short term. Indeed. And I think for me, it, I mean, somebody who stands outside of things, because I'm not involved in any of the machinations of anything. So standing outside of all these things, for me, I've, I sort of feel in a lot of cases we need to start from a blank page almost. Mm. Mm. I think things have gone on and built up in such a way that in, in really you're sort of spending money on things that have already not worked, trying to do something different on top of that which doesn't work because the the foundation isn't good for the service that's being offered and I, I see that with everything it's not just prisons it's everything I'm looking at education I'm looking at the NHS I'm looking at all those areas and thinking actually what we need is someone to sit down with a blank sheet of paper and start from the ground floor up let's just go for it and see what we can do and how we can use resources better I mean having gone through that process with the councils and um, trying to make sort of like condense them all down and make the back offices into a more economic version of themselves 
that was something that was really obvious to me and when other services say they're going to do it so for example there's a big hoo-ha when the ambulance service um, was saying that they would join up with fire service they were supposed to join up together the back office a part of it and they didn't want to do it actually it works it really works I mean, there, there are all sorts of, of things like that that, that can work. Mm. But, but in many ways, I agree with you that, that what we've got a tendency to do, and I suppose this is also a, a product or a byproduct of the scarce resources, is we sort of make quick fixes by sticking a plaster over Indeed. something, which is, you know, sort of layering um, a so-called solution Indeed. over the top of what is really a bigger problem. Absolutely. Um, but, but again, I suppose to actually go back to the blank sheet of paper mm. requires a lot of time. It does. Time, effort and, and money. Money. Yeah. And so it's, it's all Which yes, is like a sort of self-defeating, self isn't it? Isn't it? <laughs> I, you know, I, 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 I agree. Indeed. You know, and I suppose in terms of, you know, just thinking and in, in going back to what we were saying about my, my preference mm. in terms of my background, yes. I, love, I love the sort of the abstraction that can be achieved by having a blank sheet of paper and building up from scratch. Absolutely. You know, that is right up my street. But I realise, and I've done this, you know, in terms of as a manager and a leader of an organisation, you know, you, you can't or you can't do that very often. Indeed, it is a luxury, isn't <laughs> it, it, to is. think about yeah. it? It really is a luxury, because what do you do with the services in the meanwhile? Yeah, absolutely. You know, yeah. and, and, the pe and the people. And the people, people absolutely. No, <laughs> I completely appreciate, yeah, totally appreciate that. So apart from the, the prison service, I mean, which have obviously has a, left a great impression on you, what other things have you been up to? What other things have I been up to? Well, I've... I've, I've uh, going back to the police, and I must say, I've been on a ride along. Oh, so excellent! I, in, in, around Wickham, <laughs> that was fascinating. Um, been and visited the fire and rescue service, yep. and 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 seen uh, that was in Aylesbury, um, and and they have a dog as well. So uh -huh. they've just recently recruited and are training um, a, a dog as as to help them um, actually I, I sniff out and identify people who may be trapped. Wow! In, yes. And dogs are amazing. They though. are. They are amazing. And and also, I mean, thinking about that in terms of amazing dogs. Yes. I've also visited the medical detection dogs. They're amazing. Yes. Yes. I remember that when we were first introduced to them, I think it was Countess Howe that um, hosted an event many, many years ago and introduced us all to the medical dogs, and they were incredible. They are. They are. I mean, they are, and they, they just love working. I mean, you know, the fact that they are able to, um, I don't know, what one part in some billions or other in terms of identifying particular smells, yes. which they're trained to detect, Amazing. is just absolutely incredible. But they do so love working and and actually and doing yes. that you know yes. it's just it's a, it is it's amazing they are amazing so they've left an impression on you they have indeed they have, yes and and anything else that's really sort of you know really sort of strikes you as wow in my year as high sheriff i'm going to remember that my year as high sheriff it is most definitely um the work that goes on in prisons and the education work mm. that goes on in prisons that mm. is the thing that has left a lasting impression which i don't want to stop doing or being involved with when Amazing. my high sheriff year has stopped. Yes. Amazing. That is really wonderful to hear because you sort of say, is there a legacy from all of this? And that probably is the legacy then, is it? Um, I think that is the main legacy for me, but also I think um, in terms of um, the process, you know, going back to what we were saying about can anybody be a high sheriff? Yes. And, and technically the answer to that is yes, but also thinking about ways by which we can broaden the pool of people from 
whom uh, high sheriffs are nominated mm-hmm. is also something that I want to leave as a legacy. Mm-hmm. Amazing, absolutely amazing. And that is really nice to hear because it just means that everybody can yes. be put forward. Yes, I, I, mean, I, I mean, there are things that are associated with the role I mean not least um, because of travelling around the county sure. and um, and therefore there's quite a lot of travelling expenses involved and you don't get example. paid for those do no, you? No that's right and so so, another, that's one of the things that I think would be interesting to think about is how support could be provided to the High Sheriff um, because I think that would also of itself encourage help help, yes. help broaden the pool as Absolutely, well. Absolutely, yeah. because otherwise it does stop people. This is Wickham Sound. My very special guest today is the High Sheriff of Buckinghamshire. It's Ruth Farwell, CBE, and it's been fascinating talking to you. Um, I'm loving the conversation so far, but there was one thing while we were listening to that song that I really thought about, and that was simply this. You have an amazing outfit you wear. <laughs> Yes, um, high sheriffs have um, a uniform. Um, they don't always wear it when they're going to things, but quite often they do um, because it, I suppose it, it's symbolic of the of the office. Um, male high sheriffs have a particular kind of uniform which is prescribed. It it sort of it's I suppose court dress of a mm-hmm. couple of centuries ago mm-hmm. and it sort of reminds me of Captain Hornblower you know <laughs> um, it's um, breeches, tights um, you know patent pumps with buckles on uh, there's a tricorn hat yes. but they men don't wear them they just hold them under their Indeed. arm and a sort of a long jacket you know a long coat jacket with particular frilly jabot oh is that what it's called well, yes <laughs> which i think is derived well i don't know which came first but but obviously um judges have a frilly yes. bit and i and i think of that, course and i yes, think there is association can, yes i think so but it probably all just stems from some kind of court dress of for many centuries ago. I remember Peter Cara saying to me the first time he'd ever worn tights in his life was when he was high sheriff. Yes, yes. And it is interesting talking to male high sheriffs about, you know, how they purchase their tights and whether they're seen loitering, you know, in Marks and Spencers around the lingerie counter. Um, etc. No, no, so, so they, I think they do usually ask some a woman in their lives to actually go and get the tights for them. However, I never thought you know, about but that. there are there are some very good stories about. Oh, wonderful! I think that's something I'm going to have to explore now. Yes, I know. You know. Um, however, so that's men. So yes. they they have a prescribed uniform, which is their high sheriff's uniform. Um, women, however and I suppose this stems from there not having been many Indeed. until relatively recently, there is no equivalent court dress for women. And so women high sheriffs can actually choose their own uniform um, within reason. So there are guidelines, mm-hmm. but they're fairly mm-hmm. flexible and, and people are fairly liberal with them. Um, I love but... your outfit. <laughs> I think your outfit is wonderful. <laughs> Basically, it has to be in keeping with the, with the men's uniform. So I, th- I think if you, know, if, you, if you went for something, a sort of an off-the-shoulder bright orange number, then that clearly <laughs> wouldn't be appropriate. However, um, mine is a... Um, I, I was thumbing through some patterns, dress patterns, a couple of years ago, literally, well, perhaps more than that now, because I was looking for uh, the dress pattern from the Great British Sewing Bee, mm-hmm. which was the revival of the Mondrian dress. Do you, I don't know whether nope. you nope. watched the Great British Sewing Bee. However, the Mondrian dress was a dress in the 60s, which was, very, which was iconic. Um, it was predominantly white with a black cross 
you know, so a horizontal line sort of around about at bus level mm-hmm. and then a vertical one mm-hmm. bisecting that. Mm-hmm. And then if you imagine you've got four then segments, segments yes. a different size, two, two and two. Yes. And then one of them at the top was then in red. Oh. So it's predominantly white, yeah. black cross yes and then this red bit okay and it, it's it really after it's so it's after Mondrian the artist and I think it was Mary Quant who wore it in the 60s uh, do you know as you were describing that I've got two Mary Quant dresses yes and they're exactly like that they're in quadrants yes like that, yes so yes yes and it's black yes yes black dissection yes uh, but mine are four colors so I've ah. got white in one one sort of section. Yes, bright fuchsia pink in another. Wonderful, um, and and so it goes. But yes, I've got two. So that's brilliant. Well, anyway, I've got one <laughs> because um, having seen this revival on the Great British Assembly, and I was talking to somebody, and they said, I think I've seen um, a pattern for it. So I was exploring, and I found a pattern, and I did make this dress, which I'm really pleased with. But and sorry, this is a long story. But in the process of doing that. I found a Vogue pattern, a vintage Vogue pattern mm-hmm. for a 1940s, I think 1947 suit, mm-hmm. um, which is a straight skirt and a jacket which has a peplum. Oh, yes, 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 yes beautiful. Yes, I love yes. those. Yes, and, I love that shape. And it's shape. kind of curved, yes. sort of curved edges, yes. and a lot of the seams are all curved. Yes. Now, I, I wouldn't have had the... Um, capacity in terms of my dressmaking skills to make that but I did have it made so for do you me. do dressmaking as well um well yes sort of wow <laughs> well you know I, I I think my logical mind I can follow a pattern I don't know that I'd be able to be creative and design my own clothes or indeed cut out a pattern you know cut out some material I'm even from more scratch filled with admiration I couldn't do that but I can I can follow a pattern wow <laughs> So one day in the summer, you'll see me in my Mondrian dress. Ooh, I look forward to that. <laughs> anyway, but that's the origin of my high sheriff's uniform, a, a vintage Vogue pattern, and I've, it's in a sort of a purpley-blue colour. Yeah, it's very, very, very chic. It's lovely, and it really suits you because you're very tall and, and very slim and very elegant, and it does. It just sits beautifully. It's lovely. So I, it's I've, loved, I've loved wearing that, and I also... A uh, hat is part of yes. the uniform, um, typically with an ostrich feather. Yes. Um, and I've had a hat made for me which is trimmed in the same material yeah. as as my suit which we used for a raffle one day you did we tickets. did we put the raffle tickets here. it was very handy wasn't it that silver was a, sunday that was silver sunday that was such a brilliant day and thank you so much for coming along to that oh People i really so enjoyed happy. dancing oh brilliant <laughs> well you're very welcome to come to any silver sunday you wish to come to thank you just let me know you're coming and you'll be welcomed I, I with just, open arms i just won't be able to wear the suit because <laughs> it won't be allowed when i stop being high sheriff <laughs> well that will give you more freedom to yes. wear exactly what you want because now it you will. know the style of it yes as in silver sunday and what we do you'll be able to wear one of those fabulous frocks from the 50s they they i mean yes i remember <laughs> the singers they had wonderful wonderful frocks they on. did didn't they the lulalas there you go a little plug for them because they are amazing <laughs> so some of the other charities that you've supported because i know you came and supported me with silver sunday um well yes there are many over the over the year i, th- I think in in terms of um what i've been trying to do is thinking about um, what's, and this links back to what I was saying about prisons. Um, and I've been trying to support charities which help uh, offenders um, prepare for release or indeed when they're released um, in 
need small grants to support them yes. get into yes. work or whatever. Uh, and also young people to prevent them, particularly if they're excluded from school, yes. in terms of some charities. For example, um, Milton Keynes Christian Foundation has a number of activities and social enterprises that they run where young people who are under the age of 16 but are excluded from school can actually participate in manual activities, gardening, mending bicycles, yes. um, etc. But all of that's very therapeutic, isn't it, for the mind as well? Well, it is, and it's, it's, I think they are the kinds of young people for whom school hasn't worked yes. for all sorts of reasons. Yes. And so there's no point in trying to actually get them back into school or replicate the school environment. Absolutely. You want to give them a different environment, but what you don't want to do is have them hanging around on street corners because they're excluded from school, um, because they're going to get up to no good and you want to try and prevent that happening. Absolutely. No, I couldn't agree more. Um, So one of the things I've done is for the Buckinghamshire Association for the Care of Offenders, Baco, and I did a charity run and and raised um, just over £2,000. (gasps) Wow, that's brilliant. So I did 10 kilometres at Blenheim Palace. Oh, my goodness, that's amazing. That's brilliant. And how did that feel when you'd done it? Well, I, I was really pleased because um, I, I, I don't very... I do five-kilometre runs regularly, so I take part in park run. Oh, in, my on face, if you could see it, ladies and gents out there. Um, but <laughs> 10K, you know, which for some people I know is... You know, when people who do half marathons and marathons, is nothing at all. Um, but for me, 10K is quite significant, yes, you know, yes. in terms of the difference between five and ten. And I probably do a couple of 10Ks a year for charity. Mm-hmm. Um, and the last one I did was on a very flat course. And I did that in 66 minutes. And I just rashly said, when I was trying to raise money for Baco, doing this 10K at Blenheim Palace, I rashly said, I'm going to beat my best time. What I hadn't realised was that I'd done, well, of course, I'd done my best time on a totally flat course and Blenheim Palace is undulating, <gasps> oh. <laughs> to say the least. Uh, so I, it was a rash statement. So I had to then oh seriously get into thinking about how am I going to do this? Will I do it? Will I do it? Will I yes. do it? And I did, and I did do it. Wow. So I did it in sixty, just over 63 minutes. Amazing. And so I was dead chuffed. I, I, I mean, imagine. I had to fling myself down on the grass to recover at the end. <laughs> but... Um, I my sense of achievement was um, was was high. That amazing, day. <laughs> amazing, amazing. No, well done. Congratulations. I can't I can't even run um, two hundred yards. I well, really can't. I couldn't. I couldn't a few years ago. Mm. But it's amazing how um, park run. Okay, has, has got me got me into it. Yes, because I, I know I need to do something. I just don't know what. <laughs> <laughs> I have got a gym membership. It's only been used three times since October last year. So, yeah. Uh, it's just what, a, what did you do when you did those? When you went to the gym? I just went on the treadmill. Well, I'm um, just think how much each of those treadmill sessions has cost you. <laughs> yes, <I know. laughs> it's crazy, isn't it? <laughs> yes, bad girl. I must try. I must try harder. <laughs> so, when you as you're coming to the end of your year. So you're, have you got an outstanding memory? What are you going to take away with you that's going to live with you forever? Um, I, I think it, it's not a single memory, but I, I think it, it is to do with um, meeting some amazing people around the county and also their warm welcome to me because in my position as, as High Sheriff. There are just some amazing people 
all around Buckinghamshire who are helping others. They are they are volunteering. They are giving up their time. I mean, I mean, huge amounts of time in in many cases to help other other people. Um, and I think that's like it or not, because we may going back to our early conversation about resources, regret that we've got to this position. Um, but really. It's those people who are volunteering their time that are enabling our community and society to keep going. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more as, a, as somebody who's volunteered since I was 12 years old um, and as somebody who spent the last 27 years just in voluntary roles. Yes. That's, uh, I, I completely um, I, I thank you for that because that's what I do all my life. <laughs> and, and, and I think one of the things that the High Sheriff can do mm-hmm. and I think this applies to not just the volunteers and the people who give up their own time but it also applies to the people in the prison service, in the police service ambulance etc etc and the judicial system um, the High Sheriff can actually say thank you to these people on behalf of the public uh, and I think that is a really really important aspect of the role and I suppose I hadn't realised before I did the role just how powerful and significant that is to many people. Absolutely. The fact that, that somebody in a public role like High Sheriff, when they go and acknowledge the contribution that those services exactly or those individuals it. are making, then that can make a huge difference. It's very um, uplifting. It is. And it's, it makes you feel valued. It is. And I think that's one of the most important factors about volunteering is, you know, you do it because you want to do it. Yes. So, you know, you don't expect as people say thank you for that. But actually, the difference you make when you volunteer, yes. when people acknowledge that and say thank you, and, you know, you do, you feel valued. And that's really important. So, no, thank you very much for that. So for all volunteers out there, um, yes, you've heard it from the High Sheriff. <laughs> It's a thank you. Ruth, is there anything else that you would like to share with us? Because would you believe we have come to the end of our hour? <laughs> um, I mean, I think all I can say is that um, being appointed or being nominated and selected as High Sheriff is an honour and a privilege. And it's been an amazing year and I wouldn't change it for the world. Um, I have mixed feelings about my year nearly ending um, we'll have a talk about that afterwards. I've got plenty of advice <laughs> on that. <laughs> but I know um, I will miss it because I will miss meeting all of the wonderful people yeah. that I've met across Buckinghamshire. I completely understand. I really do. I would like to say a huge thank you to you for being an incredible high sheriff. You've been absolutely everywhere you have it didn't didn't matter who we were whether we were a group of you know tiny little group a great big group you've been there you've supported us so thank you so much for all your support for the whole community of Buckinghamshire and for all the people out there who work very hard to keep our communities working and going and keep just keep thriving and surviving and sustainable so thank you very much indeed again Ruth thank you very much indeed for coming into Wickham Sound and for being my guest this week it's been a joy and a pleasure and a great honor to have you here and to discuss your work and all the things that you've done. Um, Thank you. Thank you, Mimi. It's been a pleasure being here and talking to you. Thank you for coming in and thank you out there for listening. It's been lovely to have your company. You've been listening to Mimi Harker. This is Mimi Meets and you've been listening on Wickham Sound. You've been listening to a podcast from Wickham Sound. To find out more, head to wickhamsound.org.uk.